You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Pastor David. On a day like today, there are a lot of moving parts, as you can imagine, and Pastor David always does such a wonderful job structuring it, organizing it. I was so excited to see these guys, so excited about proclaiming their faith in Christ. If you are here to see the baptisms, or if you just happen to be here for the first time at Grace, uh, you will want to know that today is the last Sunday in our current series titled Missions. We've been talking all about our responsibility and our privilege to send uh, the message of Christ all the way around the world. Today was a great testimony of that, of Jesus' power in our lives when these people say, I've been saved and I want to show the world. Uh, it seems appropriate to end the, with a message titled, Why We Must Go, Why We Must Preach, and Why We Must Sin. Romans 10 13 to 17 is our text. It's a familiar text, but if you're not familiar with it, that's okay. And I am very excited to share this powerful passage with you. The truth presented in Romans 10 is deep. And while we will not go on an archaeological expedition this morning, diving all that deeply into the text, at the very least, I want to give you context for this text so that you can do a deeper dive If you would like to, on your own at home with your family this week, and certainly in home groups, they'll be doing that. Uh, We'll want to go deeper without losing focus on the mission to which the Lord has called all believers, and especially through the church. The three chapters of Romans 9, 10, 11, some of the most complicated uh, chapters in all the New Testament, address the failure of Jewish men and women to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah that God the Father sent for his people. And that was puzzling at some level to Paul. And he's just wrestling with and he's he's thinking out loud. Now it's Holy Spirit-led thinking out loud or thinking on paper about what it means that these folks who had every reason to believe in Jesus rejected him. Um, We learn in these chapters as well, though, that God is far from being through with the Jewish people. There will be a day when they turn en masse to the Lord and recognize the one who is from the tribe of Judah, the king of the Jews, the legitimate king of the Jews, not one that they mocked uh, at the crucifixion. But he is truly the king of Israel and the king of all who believe in him. For now, a window has been opened for the Gentiles to come in to God's family, to be brought into God's family. Romans 1.16 makes it clear that the gospel is available for Jew and Gentile alike to believe. There are no less than nine Old Testament texts either directly quoted, mostly quoted, or alluded to in Romans 10. It's always good to remember, maybe you've never thought about this, but the New Testament, we tend to think of the Old Testament over here, the New Testament over here, and they don't really have anything to do with each other. 
In fact, the, the longer you study the New Testament and you know the Old, if you know the Old Testament, you recognize that the New Testament is the Old Testament rewritten in view of the cross. You look at the cross and it makes all the difference. Now, all that God was saying in the Old Testament makes sense in Jesus. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a new series in 1 Corinthians. I'm still committed to getting through Daniel and possibly Revelation, if I have the guts to do it, because we all have so many different ideas about it. Uh, but for now, the elders agree that 1 Corinthians is a good place for us to spend some time. We hope to have the journals, the 1 Corinthian journals, that you can take notes in along with the text of the English Standard Version uh, if anybody can get them here by then, Ricky Lee will do it. He's scrambling all over the place to find uh, places to get those here. He got the word late. One of the problems associated with preaching through a series like this one is uh, that a text can be easily misunderstood or even unintentionally misrepresented if enough context for the passage is not given. So, since the first three roles of interpretation of Scripture are context, 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 you can see how important and challenging the text can be. I'm looking forward to getting back into a book that sort of builds the context as it goes. You don't have to constantly every week say, so here's some background on this text before we get into it so that we can get the most from it. But to provide context for Romans 10, 13 to 17, that's exactly what I want to do. Uh, here's some of the truth that will increase our understanding for these five verses. So I've got a list. In fact, this is a sermon of lists. Hopefully you got those in your bulletin as you came in. Um, and this context is found both before and after Romans 10, 13 to 17. We'll begin with this. It is right to be burdened for those who do not know Jesus. Even though the Jews desperately wanted to kill Paul, he desperately wanted them to be saved. Had such a heart for the lost. Our burden for the lost should extend beyond our care for family and friends and, and, and go to the whole world. One of the, one of the problems with the way that news is given in social media is it pushes us towards an us versus them mentality and we, we lose our hearts for the lost. I saw this news service being um, advertised yesterday. News straight up without bias either way. And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm, I just, I'm cynical. It's hard to think that somebody is just going to report what's happening and not have a slant towards it. But then when that happens, we start, we don't care if these people are saved or not. My goodness, if Christians don't care, what if people had felt that way about us? People loved us enough to get the gospel to us. So it's right to be burdened for those who don't know Jesus. Also, we will either rest in our own righteousness or God's righteousness through Jesus. I, I threw you a curveball, Kyle. I'm sorry about that. Um, look, it boils down to this. We talk often, I know a lot of you are new here, talk often here about the difference between a theology of glory 
and a theology of the cross. A theology of glory says, I've just got to be good enough. And you know what? I'm not as good as some people I know, but I'm a lot better than my neighbor down the street. So I think that's good enough to get in. A theology of glory is always measuring yourself against other people. A theology of the cross recognizes that measuring ourselves about other people against other people is meaningless. We have to measure ourselves against a, a holy and righteous God. And we have no hope of being good enough for him to say, yeah, come on in. I'll overlook those things. I remember what you did in the third grade, or I know what you did to your neighbor. No. <clears throat> we, all of us are sinful and cannot come to the Lord unless he makes provision, which he did, by coming to earth and going to the cross. That's the theology of the cross. Our only hope is in Jesus. It's not... Well, yeah, you accept Jesus and then you live good enough so that you'll be saved. If you accept Jesus, if you truly belong to him, most likely your life is going to change, even if there are periods where it's not like it ought to be. But you can't say it's Jesus plus good works. That's what Galatians is all about. No, Jesus plus anything equals lost. Jesus plus nothing equals lost. Salvation, that doesn't mean it's very simple. When you come to Jesus, you give him your whole life, just like these guys. Every one of them have professed in our conversations with them. I am one other staff member or elder. Speak with everyone who's going to be baptized, everyone who is coming in to join the church. And, and, and we get to hear these beautiful testimonies of how my hope is only in Jesus. So where we put our hope, in our own righteousness or in God's righteousness, through Jesus is the key question of life, don't you know? Third, the law is unattainable. Faith in Jesus, as given in Scripture, is accessible to everyone. We tend to think, a lot of people say, wait a minute, you're telling me all I got to do is believe in Jesus, so so." You can believe in Jesus and live any way you want to. I'm doing the best. I'm giving money everywhere. I'm helping people. I'm going to, 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 to homeless shelters and serving there. And I'm not, it's not about that. No, you can't just live any way you want to when you trust Christ. But I, I will tell you, you will never keep the law. And Paul makes that clear in Romans 10. You can, though, put your trust and hope in Jesus. He's the only hope that we have. So... Faith in Christ is attainable. The law is utterly unattainable. Fourth, all are welcome. Look, it's a very exclusive message, yes, but anybody can come. And all who were saved believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and they openly confess that Jesus is Lord. My mom used to teach a Sunday school class adult Sunday school class years ago, where she would sometime, sometimes encourage all who were willing to confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It wouldn't go right around the room. It'd just be sort of one after the other. But <clears throat> I sat in on some of those sessions. I can't tell you how meaningful it was to me to hear and to say when it was quiet, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I, it's not in the home group notes this week. If you're a home group leader, that would be a great thing to do. Just take time. Just say, let's confess Jesus. Not all at once, but just one at a time. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 
Jim Bunker, a dear brother who is now with the Lord. Uh, at, and he and his wife Marlene served, served many years at Wake Chapel Church. And Marlene is still there. Saw her recently. Jim Bunker late, likely came to Christ one morning. And he said, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He'd been thinking about it for a long time. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you're thinking, oh, baptism, good. Now they can be sure they're going to heaven. No, it's not the baptism that ensures us of our relationship with God. It's our trust in Christ. And the baptism, it's just like, I just, just thought about it as I was talking to some of the, especially the younger ones this week, that baptism is like a family name. You know, if you go to school Let's say Zach Kearns goes to school and, and they say, what's your name? And he says, I'm Zachary. And they say, what's your last name? And he's like, Zach's all you need. I'm good with Zach. What's your name? I'm telling you, I'm Zach. That's what it's like to be saved and not be baptized. Our identity is in Christ. And when we're baptized, we... Identify with him and he identifies with us. I loved what Neil kept saying today about we receive these elements. This is not, is it something we do for God here and here? Is this something we do for God or is it something he does for us? The answer is yes, it's both. He's working in us even as we are professing our faith in him. When you say, you know what, I recognize I have no hope of getting to heaven. And God, I confess that I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus died for me. You immediately become part of his family. That's a wonderful thing. And all of this comes from Romans 10. Fifth. All have the witness of nature. And Israel had the testimony of scripture. So all are without Excuse, Paul quoted from Psalm 19.4 to indicate that no one can say before the Lord, I didn't even know about you. No, he says in 19.4, David says, nature itself is a witness to you. Romans 2 says your conscience is a witness to you. You know that there's something wrong and you need for it to be made right. And Matthew tells us that, All who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. If you seek the Lord, he will come to you. Although I'm going to talk about that order in just a minute. uh, That's that's different. But if your heart is drawn to the Lord, he will make sure you hear the gospel. Now, Paul's argument in Romans 10 is far more complex than that. Did Israel, who he was really talking to, he was talking to the Jews here, trying to provoke them to, to give Jesus another thought? Think about this. He's saying, while using Romans 19.4 about nature, he's saying, you have the scripture. You should know this. Remember, Jesus, people would come to him and say, look, you can't be the Messiah because the word says this, this, and this. And Jesus said, Search the scriptures because you think that your knowledge of the word, your understanding of the Messiah gives you eternal life. But I'm telling you, they testify of me. You know about the Messiah who's going to come in power. 
But there is plenty of evidence in the Old Testament that the Messiah comes as a suffering servant as well. And you must know that I am here to redeem you. I don't look like you thought I would look, but if you look far enough in the Old Testament, I'm there. You'll see me, but you're missing it. All will be without excuse when we stand before the Lord. Sixth, Gentiles were brought in when the Israelites rejected God's provision of a Messiah. So Paul makes the argument that the Jews had to fall away so that the Gentiles could be brought forward. Why does it have to be that way? That's confusing, right? It is to me. I mean, I, I struggle with that sometimes. Why does one empire have to fall so that another will rise? It's this way over and over in life. Why is it? I don't know. It's a mystery that will be revealed in eternity. And if you trust God, which is what we're called to do, not only is it going to be all right, you're going to see the magnificence of his plan in ways that will leave you speechless and breathless except to pour out, hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is a lot easier at some points of life than it is at others to say, you know what, I just accept this. And in fact, I will tell you this, when I accepted these truths, the truths of number six and number seven that we're getting ready to consider, and I just rested and said, okay, God, you can be whatever kind of God you want to be. I'll quit trying to mold you into my image. All of a sudden, a whole lot of truth in Scripture started opening up to me. So, number seven. Those who respond to the gospel in faith have been pursued by the Lord. And those who reject the Lord do so of their own accord and of their own free will. That's not, look, don't say Calvinist, this, that. It, it, it's the word. It says it over and over in here. Those who are saved, the Lord pursued us. Ran us down beautifully. And those who reject do so of their own accord. Why do some believe and some don't? I don't know. Two people, same level of intelligence, same experiences, same area they grew up in. Both hear the gospel. One believes, one doesn't. Why is that way? I don't know. But you know what? It's okay. Nothing in scripture is written to make you proud or to make you mad. It's written to give you comfort. If you follow Jesus, he has written these things to give you comfort. I'd be happy to talk to you about any of this if you think it would be meaningful to you. And just tell you how over years I came to say, okay, God, whatever you say is all right with me. So that's the context of Romans 10 that surrounds our text for the day. The text for which we are now ready. Uh, Romans 10 verses 13 to 17. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And as the as scripture is read, it's our um, practice to stand uh, for the reading of scripture. So if you would please stand and I will read Romans 10 verses 13 through 17. For everyone and for, 
right off the bat, let you know that this is part of a larger argument, right? It's in the middle. That's why we, the context was provided. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then I want to say a word about this next quote from Isaiah 52, 7, I think it is. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I know it's Isaiah 52. I think it's verse 7. Uh, where the writer of scripture, Isaiah, projected into the future where the Children of Israel will be Israelites, he said. But the day is going to come where people proclaim to you the good news that the Babylonian captivity is over. How much greater the good news that those who quit relying on themselves and trust in the Lord are eternally saved and will be with him forever. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord... 53.1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I've, every time I ask someone, complete this sentence. Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of, they say, God. It is translated such in the King James, but in the, in the Greek text, that almost all of the new texts are translated from. It's Christos. The word is Christos. And it's the word about Christ. It's the gospel. If you're struggling with whatever in life right now. One of the best things you can do is get in the word. Because faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. I don't, don't worry, that's not like an introduction and now it's going to be a long sermon. We're halfway through or more. As has already been stated, Romans 9 through 11 explains the perplexing condition of unbelief in the heart of the Jews who were God's covenant people. They rejected Jesus, God's son. Our text, Romans 10, 13 to 17 is first and foremost written so that the Jews would understand and believe. But it's more than applicable for all people. And in fact, is a very important and significant text for all missions, all church missions. So here's the logical order Paul presents in his call for evangelism that results in people calling on the Lord. If our desire is for people to call out on the Lord and, it's, and they do so based on what we have said to them, and let me just say, since so many of you are only here for a short period, I'll try to provide context for a few of these things that I'm saying. In First Corinthians, we're going to get to the place where we realize that the gospel is best given and best received in bits and pieces. Not that you shouldn't tell the whole thing when you're talking to somebody, but rarely has someone never heard about Jesus, you tell them the gospel and they say, oh, that's really good, I think I'll believe that. It's a process. The Lord is building on what's been said. One water, one sows, one waters, but God gives the increase. So our desire is to call on the Lord, but how can they call on someone they don't believe in? And how can they believe in someone they've never heard of? And how can they hear 
without a preacher or one who shares the gospel. And how are the preachers going to go unless they're sent? Because our mission is to the entire world. In this sermon of list, I want to address three challenges in the three challenges in the title of today's message, which is for all intents and purposes a review of this series that we've done on missions. Why we must go, why we must preach, and why we must send. So let's begin with why we must go. First of all, We are commanded to go. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Acts 1, 8. Go and preach the gospel. Acts 1, 8. In Judea or in Jerusalem. In Judea. In Samaria. And to the uttermost parts of the world. Go everywhere to share the gospel. And that word of command ought to be enough. That would be enough for any of us. Just go. Your your Savior has tasked you this wonderful privilege of sharing the gospel. That's intrinsic motivation. But if you need intrinsic motivation, recognize that we are entrusted. The Apostle Paul encouraged Timothy to guard the deposit that had been entrusted to him. He was referring, of course, to the gospel. The truth of the gospel is only one generation away, as you know, from being lost. Now, I used to, when I was younger, people would say that, and I'd go, eh, eh, okay, yeah. I mean, I know that's true. Now, we really recognize. Full house, but it's really not that big a house, is it? We're here to celebrate with kids. We've got... An important job to do. We're to tell the gospel to all ages. But we especially need to make sure. That our kids understand. And they need to understand the gospel of grace. The fact that mom and dad mess up too. And we're thankful for a savior. Because we need him just as much as you do. It is our privilege to fulfill. Our responsibility to pass this good news on. Another reason we must go is that. In our hearts, we are compelled to go. Now, I, I confess, uh, I am not the greatest uh, evangelist in the Lord's army. I, but every single time, almost, that I have opportunity to engage someone with the gospel, I, I do it. Not because I'm like, yeah, this is great. It's because I have to. I just have to. I'm compelled To share God's heart with all nations. And we go to all the nations because we are compelled to go. So therefore we must go. The second big challenge. Why we must preach. Now again let me just say. Paul is not referring to preacher as in a pastor teaching elder. He's identifying anyone who shares the gospel with others. Why should we share? Well, first, the gospel is like no other message, although it is everywhere in Scripture. That's what's going in Romans 10, where he says, don't think you've got to go up to heaven or the depths of of the grave and find the word. The word is very near you. It's accessible. It's everywhere in Scripture. But people don't understand. Yesterday in our Grace Connection class, most of the guys are in, in this service. 
this morning in our Grace Connection class, we kept returning to the truth that genuine Christianity is based on a relationship while all else, both within and outside of Christendom, is a religion that seeks to obtain God's favor by one's own effort. A lot of religions believe that by the work that is done, then your salvation is accomplished. We believe that only when you approach the table, when you're baptized by faith, I'm not, it's fine if <laughs> your parents had you baptized, but you understand your baptized, baptism as being by faith, and you understand this relationship with God, then that is what makes us right with God. And that's a message that most people don't understand. There are a lot of people in Christian churches around the world this very day who are there for religious purposes, trying to do their duty so that they can be accepted by God. But here's the irony. If you do not know Jesus, all your efforts at doing good will do you no good at all. It's only in relationship with him that we're saved. Along the way, we must preach the gospel, not only to others, but to ourselves every day. Parents, you're butting heads with kids. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need it as much as they do. Kids, preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need it as much as your parents do. Another reason we must preach the gospel is that the king has come and he will return. God's kingdom, as we discussed earlier in this series, is very much alive and well on earth, but it is an already not yet affair. Proposition. The urgency with which we are compelled to preach the gospel might well depend on how much we believe that Jesus came to earth and that he is coming again. And his second coming will be far different than his first. He will establish his rule in the new heavens and the new earth. Also, there is no other name. Here's why we have to preach. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So we cannot be content to let people think it's okay. Now look, be careful. If someone knows what you believe about Jesus, you can't be telling them all the time. If parents who have adult children that have moved away, do they know what you believe? Yes. Do they know what your heart and desire is for them? Yes. Show them the love of Christ. Love on them. Don't pound them all the time. Look, thankfully, the Lord does the pounding. When we need to be pounded, he's the one that does it. Do your best to love them. And the gospel truth is, is, is revealed in so many different ways in life. We have opportunity to love people into the kingdom. They need to know what we know, that Jesus is the sweetest name in heaven and on earth. Acts 4.12. Peter is talking to the very ones. Who had crucified Jesus. The very ones that he was scared of. Not many weeks or months before. A couple of months before. Two three months. 
He was talking to them and he said, you need to understand there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's why we preach. Let's think about last. Why we must send. First, those who preach need authority. Now, I'm going to come back and say this again. I don't say this all that often, but um, look, this, the argument in Romans 10 is very complex, and there's no way to talk about it. The apostles, at, at, to the level that it needs to be discussed to understand it, but the apostles and prophets that the Lord had appointed in the early church were the ones that gave authority, that had the authority of God to set the way for the New Testament church. The apostles understood this. Everyone in the church understood this. The apostles were setting, laying the foundation for the New Testament church. They understood that they were going to move off the scene and that authority was going to be established somewhere else. It's not the same level of authority, but authority now comes as best seen in the local church. That's very difficult for Americans to swallow. We're individualist all the way. And we say, I get my authority from God and that's all I need. I get my authority from God's word. That's, the, that's a great place to start. But the New Testament also makes it clear that to be apart from the church is to really be testing it. Your relationship with Christ. It's the same thing as that identity. You don't, you don't do one without the other. But I've been heard in church. We'll find another place where they preach the word. And settle in. And allow the Lord to heal some of your wounds through his people. And guess what? You're going to get hurt again. We all do. We hurt each other. It's a matter of life. It's just anything where religion is attached, it feels so much more intense. Which is why we need to settle down and remember this is a relationship, not religion. The best accountability for believers begins in the local church. It's why we must send others and why... As you saw from our mission team interviews, the mission team has an important role in the churches and our churches sending missionaries all over the world. Another reason we must send is that not everyone can, can go. Remember when we encountered in this series the demon-possessed man in, in Gerasene? That Jesus delivered from possession and he desperately wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no, you just stay right where you are and tell everybody in your hometown what great things the Lord has done for you. And that's exactly what he did. There are lots of different reasons. We also looked at Epaphroditus who was going to Rome so excited and he got sick and had to go home. Not everybody can go. Not everybody's cut out for the mission field. In fact, it really boils down to... a handful of people that go all over the world. And if we can't go, we need to send those who were willing and able to go. So the final thought about why we must send is that the fields are white under harvest. So let me say something that might 
sound a little contradictory right at first, but we should not go somewhere simply because there is need. Because there is need everywhere, right? I've had more than a few tell me, I just don't think we ought to be sending missionaries. We got enough problems right here in our own land. But look, God doesn't, he, he just says, go, send, preach the gospel at home, abroad, <coughs> wherever you are, share Christ. Needs are everywhere. There are times when it is clear, though, that we are responding to the needs that the Lord presents to us, <coughs> both at home and abroad. As has been communicated before, the elders are committed to planning new churches or helping churches that are, are sort of experience in decline to revitalize in our own area if and when the Lord presents these needs to us. I, I've heard um, some, and, and if he makes it clear, that's what we're to do. I've heard some scholars speculate or read about this. In John chapter 4, you remember Jesus goes to the woman at the well in Samaria. And it's the town of Sychar. She, after she talks with Jesus, she goes into town and says, you're not going to believe this guy I just met. And you've got to come. Well, now while she's going, getting up a crowd, the disciples have come back from town. And they're looking at Jesus like, what in the world were you doing talking with not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman? It was culturally a big uh, taboo in that day. But Jesus said, look, and they said, are you hungry? Do you have any food? He said, I've got food you don't know anything about. And then he said this. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Well, I tell you that the fields are white under harvest right now. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. Now I'm adding from another uh, section where the Lord talks about this. He says, pray that the Lord will send forth workers. What some of the people think is, and it's just speculation, but it's plausible, it's reasonable to me, is that the woman went back into, into town and she tells the people and they're coming out saying, we're going to see for ourselves about Jesus. We're not so sure about you, but this is really interesting. We're going to go check him out. And as Jesus is talking to the disciples, they're coming in the distance and the men may have had those white turbans on and it looked like a field out in the distance. It's kind of waving and ready to be harvested. Might be so, might not be so, but it might be. So as you drive away from church this morning, you get a prize if you can find a housing development going up somewhere. Well, actually, you all get a prize, right? Let's see, what is it? It's this card right here with all the list on it. That's your prize. We, do you think the fields are white under harvest? In our area? I think so. With so many people moving into our area. Be praying with the elders about the Lord's timing. To send others out of our church locally as well as globally. We've been praying a lot about our efforts in sending people to the world. And a lot of the people that we support spend significant time in grace and served very well. And that's a beautiful thing. But the fields are white under harvest. 
right where we are. Thank you so much, Grace Community Church, for being a mission-minded church. Let's pray. So grateful that you could be here this morning. If you came to see one baptized, as many of you did, we are so excited for you and your family that this day that is truly one of the great days of any believer's life when he's baptized. We thank you uh, for your input and involvement in their lives. If you have come and maybe understood a little bit more about Jesus than ever before, and your heart is saying something's missing in my life. Maybe would you, you just pray in your heart something like, Lord, I, I, I've been trying, but I'm, I've been failing, and I confess that I have no hope apart from you. I confess that I am a sinner. That my sins have ruined my relationship with you. It never existed, in fact, other than you are my creator. But I believe that Jesus died for me. You sent him to die in my place. Oh, Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. Save me now. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that we have witnessed and all that we have received today in baptism and at the Lord's table. And in worshiping together in song and hearing from your word. Our hearts are light. But we know that the burden of preaching the gospel for the lost, while it is a great privilege, it is a responsibility that can be heavy. May we not do it in our own strength. May we do it in the name and the power of the one who leads the church, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray and everything that that name implies. Amen. Thank you, and please stand for the benediction. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.